I remember that time I broke my collarbone on that group ride. All of those kind of come across as negative, but you know, but any any day on a bike is is a good day, right? It is. It so is, it's yeah. really hard to say. Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. If you've ever ridden in a bike race, especially as an amateur, you've probably had the thought, if I ever get my hands on whoever put this together, it's going to go down. Well, today, we have the man who puts it all together, race director of the Pikes Peak Apex, SBT Gravel, and oodles of previous races, Micah Rice here at studio. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you have raced, you have built and directed pro teams, you have masterminded over 100 national championship races for USA Cycling, and you continue to build some of the most popular bike races in the nation right now, which is really, really cool. Um, it's, it's a joy to have you with us today. Uh, to start off, though, we'd love to dive into one of the, the uh, most current events just weeks away at this point, the Pikes Peak Apex, and hear... Uh, what what that event is, how it came together, and a little promo on it. Sure. Well, well first of all, that's quite a flattering intro right there. <laughs> it makes me sound pretty pretty amazing. Oh, that's just what Google told us. We just do our research. We're not wow. making this up. Wow, that guy sounds cool. Who's that? No. Uh, well, you yeah, know, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. And um, it's 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 always fun to talk about. Um, a bike race that I get to put on in my own hometown. And um, so the idea for the Pikes Peak Apex uh, came about, we were working with Ironman to actually create a multi-day mountain bike stage race uh, that would have been the North American Championship for for Ironman. Long story short, they decided to pass on it, but not before uh, me and a number of other people put a lot of volunteer work into trying to create this event to present to Ironman. Um, and so, um, when they kind of turned down the whole project, um, everyone turned to me and said, great, well, Micah, now you get to put this on. So, uh, that's <laughs> so you, uh, yeah. you got voluntold to do <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm hearing. Pretty, pretty much. Uh, they kind of brought me in to do some, uh, some volunteer work on trying to put together some courses and what this might look like. And then all of a sudden we had this event that, that no one owned and, and operated or, or, or knew how to put on. And so I got, uh, I, I got, yeah, told that, uh, this was going to be one of my projects. And, um, and I did at the time have, have the bandwidth and time to do it. So uh, we kind of already had the bits and pieces together and kind of what it looked like. One of the first things I went and did is talk to some of the friends that I've got at RockShox. As you guys know, RockShox and SRAM, you know, they, they employ probably about 160 people here in town. Um, and, uh, they do all of their R and D on RockShox here on, on the Pikes Peak area trails. So I wanted to get them on board before we even announced it. And they, they were super excited about the project they like me were amazed that there there was not a mountain bike race in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of go back to it's like it's kind of amazing. Uh, we have you know half a million people in this area and some of the most amazing trails th that you can ask for. And then there's no mountain bike race in Colorado Springs in this region. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. Yeah, I, and we, I, we, none of us could really believe that when we started thinking about it. And so they jumped on. They said, absolutely, we believe in this project. Uh, and so we became the Pikes Peak Apex uh, presented by RockShox. And um, we announced this event, uh, decided we were going to do it. We announced this in November of 2019. 
not really knowing that there was a pandemic about to hit us, of course. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Uh, announced this and brought on a number of sponsors, um, you know, had had a, a lot of support and help from from Rock Shocks, um, and then started bringing on other partners. And and when I say we, uh, it's actually a project of the Pikes Peak Outdoor Recreation Alliance. And, and um, PPRA is an organization that works with outdoor recreation in the Pikes Peak region. Um, they're a nonprofit organization. They're kind of a collection of businesses who put money in. And they're all about outdoor recreation in this area. So whether that's uh, hiking or biking on the trails, whether that's, uh, you know, hot air balloon rides or uh, fly fishing or Jeep rides or, you know, it doesn't matter. Like anything that's outdoor recreation, um, that's what they love to do. So so this is a project of theirs and, it, and it, all the money that's made from it goes back into the trail system through their trail stewardship fund. So kind of a fun project. Um, rarely are events like this uh, nonprofit. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they're usually like owned by somebody big, like, like Ironman or Lifetime Fitness or, you know, kind of go down the list of, of kind of some of these big conglomerates. So to be able to work on this and kind of create this for the town that I live in and the trails that I personally ride has just been awesome. Yeah. And we're going to come back to that a little later because I've got a couple of questions about that, what it's like to run that as a nonprofit, as a community event, rather than a big corporate right. affair and what some of those nuances might be. But before we get to that, we want to know a little more about you and we want to find out a little more about how you got from, I believe it is Athens, Georgia to here in Colorado. Yes. Well, I, I, um, boy, I moved to Athens, Georgia as a kid when I was 12 or 13, moved to Athens, Georgia. Um, my parents, um, took you know, my parents took a job there. So was moved from Wisconsin um, down there. Where at in Wisconsin? Uh, kind of the northwestern part, a little bit north of Amory. Up, oh, okay. Uh, you know, uh, up there by uh, Canada, Rice Lake. Yeah, not <laughs> not that far from Canada. It was pretty cold up there. Up up in the uh, up in Milk Country. Yeah. Up, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of dairy farms up there. But uh, I remember when I was thirteen, uh, we uh, we went into Athens downtown uh one time for a festival and it was the athens twilight criterium and i was 13 years old and i w was witnessing the athens twilight criterium and um if any of your listeners do not know anything about the athens twilight criterium go ahead and look it up on youtube uh but think about um a one kilometer course downtown thirty thousand screaming drunk college students um, wow. and and a dj just rocking it out for the pro race crashes uh, hay bales you know with five high in the corners to uh, oh protect gosh. the people that are watching and it is just one of the most amazing spectacles it is truly nascar on bikes and uh i was just oh. wide-eyed 13 year old and i was like i want to do that okay did you know what it was going to be? Like, paint that picture. Were you just a kid like, oh, we're going into town. I don't, I have no idea what's coming. And then all of a sudden you're at the... I knew it was a bike race. I, you uh -huh. know, so, and someone just said, yeah, we're going to go to this, this thing. And it's a festival and it's a bike race. And there's a jazz festival attached to it. And there's all this other stuff. And uh, I, I had no idea what scene I was about to walk into. And I remember this as a 13 year old. And I was like, I, I want to do that someday. Uh, and it took me 10 years. But 10 years later, exactly. I lined up in the pro race. 
mm. at that at that event. Okay, so talk me through that journey because there's any number of people who go to something exciting as a kid and they think, "Wow, someday I'm going to be an <laughs> astronaut." You know, whatever it doesn't matter. Yeah. And then later they're an accountant. Well, and, and, and it's not something you picked up right away, right? I lived out out in the country. Um, uh, there was a just to get from the you know, I had a two mile dirt road to get back to my house. Uh, and, but I, you know, I, I, you know, a little dirt bike cruised around, you know, a little BMX bike yeah. and then kind of graduated to this road bike that I had. And, um, I remember it was a, it, it was a Raleigh Rapide or something like that, right. Rapide or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and I cruised around and I got out on the road a little bit and I checked it out. And finally, when I was in, um, a senior in high school, I, 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 I met this, this, uh, bike messenger from, from New York City, who I was just like, whoa, this ride, he's on the fixie, you know, with the no brakes. And I'm like, this guy's, oh, yeah. this is crazy. This guy's amazing. Back when that was not a thing that anybody knew about yeah. outside of urban oh, yeah. areas. Oh, yeah. I would have been, a, you know, in, in high school in the, you know, the uh, around 1990 uh, mm-hmm. during that time. And uh, I finally got a reasonable road bike, a Centurion Ironman Master. Ooh. It was the one with the pink smoke. Okay. All, there a, we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the real, the the good, the good paint job. Now, index yeah. shifting at that point. Index or still... shifting. Yep. On the down tube. Uh, and I uh, bought it used for 400 bucks, and uh, so cruised around on that, and actually jumped into it when I was in high school. I was jumped into a time trial. I remember that one was my first race. I jumped into a time trial that the local bike shop put on, and had a good time mm-hmm. doing it. Um, and so I had this bike. So I went to college there in Athens, University of Georgia. Yeah. Um, and I was out riding um, kind of as a freshman. I remember going out for a ride and I met up with some guys. They were all wearing uh, University of Georgia team kits. And I was like, oh, check these guys. These guys yeah. are, you know, with the university. And they were like, oh, yeah, come ride with us. And I'm like, cool. I could, you know, <laughs> go ride with these guys. And they're like, hey, we're having a meeting tonight for the club. Why don't you come on by, get a burrito? We're having a, you know, come. And I'm like, sure, that sounds like fun. I'll come on by. And, <laughs> You know, I get that night and they're like, hey, we're racing this weekend up in Greenville, South Carolina. Why don't you come on up? And I'm like, okay, yeah, that'd be great. So that's kind of how I started out in that world of racing. And then I jumped into a criterium freshman year in college, Mm -hmm. crashed badly, ended up in the back of the ambulance getting cleaned up. Ooh, wait, Uh, that's not a story to just go by. What happened? But completely hooked. Like I'm in, I'm I'm just, I'm all, I'm all in. Do we get to hear the story of that crash? Yeah. Oh, I just totally misjudged the corner. I didn't know what I was doing. You I just mean, oh, you just overcooked no it right like, on yeah, through. I was like corners. I, I'm not race. <laughs> I've never raced before. You know. So uh, yeah, and and you know you don't. It was back in the day when it's just like Criterium racing was where it was at. Mm-hmm. Everyone Criterium. That's how you got into the sport, and you you lost a lot of blood getting into the sport that way. And that's just that's part of how it was. Yeah. So then it's turned into, you know, cornering practice in the parking lots and things like that to try to get back on the foot. So I, so I raced collegiate for U- University of Georgia mm-hmm. um, and I did that for four years. The last two years I was on kind of that A squad. So went to a couple of national championships, Yeah. Um, graduated from college in 96 as a high school English teacher, interestingly enough. Uh, and, um, did you want to do that or was that just the thing that no, got the yeah, major so you could get through? I wasn't as passionate about it as I really thought I was probably. Um, so I, I started teaching, I got a job, but I was still tr- trying to race. And then I just, after a year of teaching, I was like, okay, I, I can teach when I'm 40. I'm gonna, 
I'm going to chase this cycling thing. So I started working for the company that ran the Athens Twilight Criterium and wow. racing. Mm -hmm. So I could do both. And so I made enough money working kind of three-fourths time for this company. We'd go to races. We'd get up early, set up the fencing and the start-finish line and get the sound system going. And then I'd jump on my bike and race it. Right. And then I, okay. you know, and I would get done racing and I'd like break down and, you know, yeah. help. That was kind of like my weekend job, but I could race at the same time. So I kind of kept it going. And um, I got to the point where, you know, I jumped on, I was able to join a, a UCI professional team for a couple of years, but I wasn't very good. So I was like, if I'm going to keep going, I've got to do something different. Now, what, when you say you weren't very good, was that like you had been racing at the collegiate level, you know, holding your own, and then all of a sudden you stepped into this game and realized there's a much, much higher level being played here? Or was it other yeah. factors? Well, and there was kind of, there's kind of a level in between that too, right? There's mm -hmm. a high level of collegiate, and then there's kind of that pro one, two level where you're a cat one and you're doing well in regional races and you're, you're making a little bit of money and getting on the podium in those mm -hmm. regional races. Um, but then you take that step to professional road racing and it's a big step. And those are in the days when you had these, you know, when if you went to a true pro race, it was a full team of Saturn guys, uh, Mercury yeah. guys. Then you had the other smaller, you know, teams like Nutrafig and HealthNet and, you know, like, well, mm -hmm. HealthNet was a little bit later. It was kind of the precursor of that, but um, it was uh, seven up. So pro racing was just like, whoa, wide-eyed, full, mm -hmm. full pro Pelotons were, were a, a strong step beyond that Cat 1 regional stuff. And, and did you know that that was going to be that step or did you find out day one on the bike in a race like, oh no. I knew it was going to be tough because you get a chance as a Cat 1 to race against the pros at times. So you might do some criteriums and still be like, okay, you know, Saturn's got six guys here. Yeah. But uh, you know, I can kind of hang on and fake it and, and, and stay in the front and, 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 but, but, but then when you've got, you know, four or five pro teams with full squads, it's about a, about two miles an hour faster. And let me tell yeah. you that two miles an hour, that, that average speed of 28 to average speed of 30 in a criterium is a big, big step. And, um, I, I just didn't quite have just the natural ability and horsepower to quite I, I i could go through the pain like my pain threshold was high so i could train mm -hmm. i could i could just really grip my teeth and go but there's there's a line there where you've got just the people that have that grit determination and and pain threshold and this innate national natural ability and i just didn't quite have that extra last step so when you, I went to something like U.S. Pro Championships, which is like the, the, the Philly event, you know, with the Maniunk wall and all that, like yeah. I could hang in there for about eight out of the 10 laps, but the race is the last two laps, yeah. you know, I mean, that's a 156 mile race. I'm good for 120, but that's when the real riders start racing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm toast. So right. that's the that's where that line, that that rift and true ability really kind of shows up. And I fell on the wrong side of that to actually make money racing my bike in the sport. Gotcha. So and how long did you race like at that level? Was it was it a pretty two quick years. turn? Just two, two years. Two years as a pro. Um and then uh then I decided to start my own pro team. So yeah. so talk me through that. What made you decide like was it a feeling that you wanted to stay 
in that world, but just knew you weren't on the right seat in the bus or what? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to stay in that world. I, I enjoyed doing it. Um, I felt, um, you know, I was still reasonably cocky at the time. I was like, oh, I just was part of a pro team, but I could do better than that. Like yeah. I can do a, I can do a better job of running a pro team than these guys did than mm-hmm. one that I was part of. Um, turns out it's pretty difficult to actually run a professional team. Is that um, so? And, <laughs> and, uh, so I had two professional teams. I had a men's and a women's, a jittery Joe's men's team, um, for seven mm-hmm. years. And then the last three of that, I ran a, a women's team sponsored by Aaron's corporate furnishings. Um, and, um, my women's team was actually better than my, my men's team, but we, you know, we had a few, some successes with the men's team as well. Truly a, just a domestic team. Yeah. We, we rarely raced outside of the United States. Um, we really just kind of had that. We're on that domestic circuit. We kind of could pick and choose which races to go to. Often went to kind of the B race for the pros, just so the guys could win an extra little bit of prize money because we didn't oh, yeah. have a ton of money to pay these guys. So if we could go to a ten thousand dollar crit, they could walk away splitting two grand because we got you know first and fourth or something. Yeah. Um, then that was the race we chose, so the, those guys could pay the rent. So. It was uh-huh. stuff kind of like, like that. Were those the kind of decisions that you anticipated or like, what was the most surprising part of running the team? Like say six months in or a year in where you thought, oh, I did not see this coming. Yeah. I mean, there's just not a lot of money and everything's kind of pretty tight. So if you, and, and you, everyone's heard tons of stories about sponsors not paying or pulling out or paying late. And it's like, you're always just riding that fine line with the financial piece. So the thing that I didn't quite realize is that about 30% of my time was going to be dealing with financials, trying to make sure that there's enough money in the bank to pay everybody on the first, trying to make sure that I didn't bounce a check to a race director, you know, if I was paying entry fees for a, for a race, Um, trying to collect money from sponsors who either you know, we're, oh, oh, sorry, forgot to send a check or, or we're actually like not able to pay for some reason. Um, yeah. and, and then like, okay, great. Do I pay a lawyer to take him to court or, you know, those are the decisions you're having to make as a team owner. And, and it was a lot of work. And, and so I had people hired that could, you know, do mechanic work and, uh, you know, Sonier and, and, and even, um, the last few years I hi- hired kind of a, a team director that could like, you know, drive the car and do all that stuff. So I could really concentrate on the sponsorship and financial aspect of it. Um, and kind of the marketing branding piece. Um, but a lot of it was always focused on, I need to make payroll on the first. And, and that was what I think for me was just kind of like, Oh, this is the, the non-glorious stuff that you deal with. If you actually want to run a team. Sounds stressful. Yeah, it was. I mean, cause you know, you had, you know, 20, 25 people counting on you that, that when you wrote them a check on the first, it wasn't going to bounce because most of them were living month to month as well, because that's how it is on that level of racing bikes. And there was a lot of pressure to try to figure it out. Was there also a lot of, a lot of fun that you had with the team? Oh, some of those days were just the, a blast. I mean, being on the road with a bunch of guys who were doing what they wanted to do, um, and, and, and a bunch of women who just, I mean, that the women's team just got along so well together and, and just had a blast. And a lot of races, I was able to be there with both teams. And, uh, and, and we were, you know, 
traveling the United States, going to bike races and and winning a lot of bike races, uh, you know, uh, not on the high end national caliber that we had. We had a couple of big wins like the Tour of Georgia um, stage where our Colombian climber um, beat Lance Armstrong on the Queen stage, like attacked him with 2K to go and won. And, you know, we made, you know, we uh, obviously that was like a big, big, oh, huge, yeah. massive day. Uh, I think it was like uh, Jens Void and Lance and and Ekimov and and Hincapi, like in a, a, a Chris yeah. Horner, like in a group of six with two K to go, and our guy attacked them with two K to go and blew up the front group and won the stage, and it was like this huge deal, and we were on the front pages of papers in Italy and stuff. You know, yeah, there's so That's you have amazing. those days where you're like, okay, it's all worth it, like. All well, I don't care what I've been dealing with the last, you know, couple of months. That right there makes the year. That's and, awesome. Uh, so you have those moments that are just just amazing breakthrough moments where everyone just is so excited with you, for you, around you. Um, but then you just you know you have times where you know it's just a crappy rainy day at Crit Pro, you know, Professional Criterium Nationals in Downers Grove. And, yeah. you know, the men in the men's race, nobody gets into the top 10 in the women's race. Your star person crashes, breaks her collarbone. You spend four hours in the ER with her, you know, and it's yeah. like, that's a crappy day. That uh, doesn't sound like that was just picked <laughs> abstract. That sounds like you're talking about a very specific day you remember yeah, right there. Is. Absolutely. You, you've got your up days and your down days. I mean, like, like anything, I guess, you know, uh, um, it, with, with work and life. Um, but if you're, if you're doing kind of what you're passionate about, then, then it's fun. Yeah. How did the team end or did, is it still going? No, it's gone now. We, we, they moved to amateur yeah, so just kind of next step for me, I a, a number of things happened in 08, including the stock market crash and right. things like that. And mm-hmm. a lot of sponsors kind of pulled back a little bit. And um, I lost Aaron's Corporate Furnishings because that arm of the company was sold. Jittery Joe's needed to pull back a little bit. And I was about to kind of put together this kind of cobble together a men's and women's team together with the same set of sponsors. And I was like, I think I can do this. And I was just like, oh, this is t- a lot of work. I'm I'm not sure if I want to take this much of a step back. At the same time, I was approached by USA Cycling to come in and and run their national events department. I you know I'd seen the job was open, but then I knew the COO there, and he's like, "Yeah, you should you should come on out here and do this." And for me, it's like. I had been paying myself terribly, right? My, yeah. my wife is a nurse, so fortunately she had a steady job in healthcare and things like that. But um, I had been paying myself badly, you know, thinking that we were going to strike it rich at some point with yeah. pro cycling teams. I don't know what dream world I was living in. But, uh, but this was like an offer to give my, you know, to, to have a, a good raise and benefits, um, move to Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did that. I decided this is my chance to kind of take what I want. And, and USA Cycling was kind of interested in my marketing and branding piece because mm-hmm. they wanted to kind of take the national championship brand and kind of rebrand it, kind of start over a little bit with what, the, what they were doing. Um, and it gave me a chance to kind of run my own department within the, the governing body, which was kind of interesting for me. Yeah. Um, and so that was a good offer that I had on the table. Um, they paid me 
60% raise over what I was, you know, making at the time, plus <laughs> benefits. Nice. Yeah. And oh, I was man. like, I probably need to take this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so moved my family to Colorado in, um, in 09 and, and worked eight years for USA Cycling where I kind of moved up the ladder a little bit and was part of the kind of the executive leadership team for the last four years of that. Yeah, we saw there's a note that says you were also the VP of special projects. Is that accurate? I did. I took, I kind of took that role on in the last several months, but that was kind of my exit out. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> what is a special project? Well, I'll t well, I was the VP of national events for, um, I think four years, five, five years, maybe. I'd had a conversation with the then CEO, Derek Bouchard Hall, and I just said, listen, I, I, I think I've done what I can do in the national events department. Uh, I've enjoyed it, but um, I think that I either want to look at another option within the company uh, and, or I need to kind of move on and do something different. And he just said, okay, well, I don't, you know, I don't know what that entails within the company, but totally get where you're coming from. Why don't we kind of move you into a position where we can kind of tap into your your knowledge base and your understanding of USA Cycling as well as the understanding of the sport. And they were still able to use a lot of things. I, I, I did take on a number of things. I tried to elevate the collegiate program there. I had background, obviously, with racing collegiate. Mm -hmm. That's how I entered the, the program. We started into this new um, area of freestyle BMX at that time. And, you know, now we know it's an Olympic sport. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I started doing a lot of looking into that and talking into those athletes and, and race directors that put those on and started going to some of those, um, freestyle, um, BMX events. So I did a lot of the groundwork on trying to prepare USA cycling to be part of that world. So there were just a few things I was able to kind of do during that, that time that, that allowed me to do that. And, and then I moved on to working with OC sport and oat Route. And the Oat yeah. Root events, and that's kind of where I, how I was able to kind of make my exit was to work with that group. And for some of those who don't know, can you paint a picture of what those events look like? Yeah, so they're essentially Grand Fondo stage races okay. uh, is the best way to describe those. So um, mass start Grand Fondos, longer days on the road bike, difficult days. And then you piece a number of those back to back to back, whether those be anywhere from three days to seven days. So the most famous one is Oat Root Alps, mm -hmm. um, seven days in the mountains. So essentially they try to say, hey, if you took out a, a week of the Tour de France that's normally in the Alps, yeah, complete stages, this is a week of if you were in the Tour de France, this is the kind of mileage and difficulty you would be doing. That sounds both amazing and hellish. Yes, for for the amateur rider, so anyone can jump in and do this. And um, and uh, it, best job interview ever. They flew me over to do Oat Root Alps as my job interview. Oh wow! No so way. I spent uh, I spent ten days. I actually got to um, jump in and check out the um, Oat Root Pyrenees right before just the last couple of days, and then jumped. They're like, "Hey, here's a bike." <laughs> Here, here's a couple of kits we're going to download with you each day. Why don't you skip one? You know, I, I skipped a couple of the days, two days. Mm -hmm. So I think I did five out of the seven days um, because we want to, you know, one day the CEO wanted to drive around with me and talk. Um, yeah. And one day I did kind of some behind the scenes operations look at what they were doing. But um, 
Did I you did. do any of the big climbs? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I did, did, did the the Alpe d'Huez time trial, um, the Colombier uh, telegraph. We, you know, just uh, it, it was just amazing, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so it, it's uh, we, we, you know started in Nice, you know, did oh the first gosh. day out of Nice, which was what a hundred and ten miles with fourteen thousand feet of climbing or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I, and I, I, I was in reasonably good shape. Uh, but um, that's that's some suffrage, right? That was that was yeah, hurting. That's... That was hurting. Again, greatest job interview of all time. Uh, and, yeah, I can't beat and that. So, uh, and so then, um, so then they were like, "Yeah, we got it. You know, we're gonna bring you on. We're gonna do this. We're gonna start you October 1st. Um, and so my job was to kind of create some some oat root events in the United States. And so um, open an office in Colorado Springs, hire mm-hmm. staff, create these other events. Um, I started uh, October 1st, October 2nd, I was on an airplane to, um, Haute Route Von 2. So we're back to France, <laughs> back to a three day event. And they're like, we're going to have meetings here, but first we ride. So it was oh. like, do the stage in the morning and meetings in the afternoon with everybody and so i got did the three-day oat root von two as well i um, mean <laughs> it's a tough job somebody's got to do it it is yeah. um so thank you for your sacrifice so, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that so I, I was i was in for that job just for the work trips let's well, yeah. say let's be honest um and and again long i won't get into the details of oat root that was tough um they mm-hmm. really had what they wanted to do in the United States, my job was to truly translate that into American, shall we say, what they yeah. were doing in Europe. That turned that translation turned out to be much more difficult than they anticipated. They had some hardline things that they didn't want to move on. Um, we don't do business the same in the United States as we do in Europe. Um, you know, we can see that, you know, what the differences are in the sport. And they were kind of unwilling to bend on some things that I told them they were going to need to bend on. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to them about things like gravel. Like, guys, we've got to do a oat root gravel event. It needs to be a three-day uh, on gravel. Yeah. This has to be one of the directions that we take. And they were just like, oh, no one wants to ride on gravel. And I'm like, no, tr- trust me, <laughs> people want to ride on gravel. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know and, a few. And this was just as things were starting to kind of get big on that on that mm-hmm. side of things. Now, of course, Oat Root started into a whole gravel series on their own, and we know Oat Root just several months ago was bought by Iron Man. Excuse me, I shouldn't say that was actually weeks ago, where Oat Root was bought by Iron Man along with their gravel events that are in Europe. And <laughs> wow. it's like, guys, I told you. All the things that I recommended they do, they've started to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, that was inevitable. It's like, yeah. if you want to do it this way, long story short, I just said, hey, uh, you know, my contract was done at the end of, of 2018 and um, I just kind of let it fizzle out, um, yeah. didn't, didn't resign and started working for a cur- my current company, which is Sports Strategies, a uh, company out of Birmingham that deals with um, kind of sports tourism uh, marketing and, and, uh, consultation. And so I work for that company and then I run, um, the Pikes Peak Apex, uh, as race director of that event. Yeah. And then I, um, I'm the race director for SBT gravel as well. So a big, 
big uh, gravel event in Steamboat Springs. And that's a new thing for you. I mean, the race itself is pretty new. Yeah, but also... it is. It is. I've just been doing that this year is my first mm. year on that. But it's only been the second edition of the race itself. So, right. Which um, gets to one thing that I was thinking about uh, yeah. before this and I wanted to sort of ask about. To me, as a complete rank amateur who will only occasionally end up in an actual race, one of the things that I feel like from the outside, what seems like it makes a successful event are the ones that feel like they've been there forever or they should have been there forever, even if it's the first time or the right. second time. Like those that right. you walk up to and you're like, well, of course there's a race here. <laughs> Hasn't there been since the dawn of time? Yeah, yeah. How do you create that? Uh, you know what? Um, there is a secret sauce out there. And if I knew the exact recipe, I would take it and duplicate it 10 times within the next year yeah. uh, and figure it out. And some things just get this natural traction and some things don't. And it, um, you know, SBT Gravel is a fantastic example. They did a number of things right out of the gate before the first edition even started. Like what? Uh, they had a very strong collection of sponsors that were willing to use their platforms to advertise the race before it even happened. Yeah. They paid a bunch of pros to show up and push out on their, on their social media platforms um, that they were excited about this new event that was happening in Steamboat Springs. Yeah. Uh, they, they also are blessed with an unbelievable bunch of uh, amazing gravel roads and routes there out of Steamboat Springs. I mean, the, the, the riding there is off the hook, yeah. not to mention a, an amazing destination resort town. So, you know, great places to stay, great places to eat, other things to do, uh, and the, all of those pieces just absolutely came together for them. And, and all the other things to do in Steamboat Springs, you know, whether that be go to different breweries or float down the river on an inner tube or the mountain biking in town or, you know, the hikes that are, are, are you know, that you can do there, uh, the hot springs. They've got a number of hot springs you can you can check out, you know, all of those things. I mean... So if, if there is a secret sauce, I just explained it in the last one minute. I mean, yeah. that's just like kind of the perfect event in the perfect location. Um, but uh, it's, it's hard to recreate. Yeah. It really is. So what about, um, and I heard your interview that you did with the Trainwright podcast that mm -hmm. CTS puts on earlier this year. And you talked about this idea of that experience, some of what you just described, uh, and that really resonated because I've got friends of mine, one in particular, who's from Illinois. He's in his 50s. He's got three kids and a wife. And he loves to race. So right. he's got this tension between, right. I want to do this sport that takes a ton of time in training and takes a big commitment to the race day itself. And I've only got so much vacation a year. Right. So how do you see that playing out in the future of these events? Are we going to see more of these SBT, more of these apex style races where it isn't just the race itself anymore. It's going to be a whole production. I, I think so. I think that what you've seen happen, and I'll, I'm going to go back to some of the stuff that I remember um, digging into during my days at USA Cycling. Um, during my days at USA Cycling, we, we, we took a look at the membership, um, which was 
probably in its peak in the 75,000 person range in 2014, which is kind of the peak of USA Cycling at that time in terms of membership. Mm -hmm. We are finding out that kind of in 2012, 2013, those members were racing an average of eight events a year. That was an Mm -hmm. average. Okay. That's probably down to five, which is a massive decrease. Yeah. So I, I, I don't have the, the latest stuff from USA Cycling. I haven't asked for it. But we know that that was starting to fall um, during my last days at USA Cycling, where people were much more focused on big bucket list destination events that yeah. they could train up to, you know, maybe prepare for with a race, but maybe with training and, and maybe even some destination training mm-hmm. um uh and and racing less so it wasn't you know you don't have you didn't have the people as much that were like i'm going to do 20 crits this year uh it's much more like i'm going to do these four big events i might use i might use a, a a couple of races to train for them but these are what i'm focusing on and a lot of coaches are training for that kind of thing as well you'll see that you know coaches they're not necessarily you know, that, sure, they've got their pros that they train that, that, you know, that have to peak, you know, six or seven times during the year because they've got these events they have to do well for their teams or for their sponsors. But um, a lot of their amateur riders have, you know, maybe two, maybe three events that they're really focused on for the year. And, and that's what they're training for. And so people are doing fewer events. So because of that, they, they want to make them count. Um, and yeah. as you said, they only have a certain amount of vacation time. Um, do I bring the family, uh, you know, or do I go with my buddies? Um, because as we all know, those of us with families, you, you can burn vacation time with your employer, but you're also burning family time if you leave them, right? Yeah. So it's uh. it's kind of a double thing there. Mm-hmm. So if you're going by yourself, you're like, not only am I, va- you know, burning the vacation time, but if I leave my family for a week, that's a whole nother deal. My wife's taking yeah. care of the kids, you know, yep. you know, in my case, um, fortunately my, you know, I have teenager, you know, a teenager now and I can leave her at home if I have to, but, uh, but, I'll, but there's, there's a certain aspect of, you know, you, you only, you know, you're, you're, you're putting in blue chips when yep. you start doing those, those big events. So you got to make them count. You can't start, you can't do that. 20 times a year anymore mm-hmm. um, as an amateur rider, unless that's truly your job. Uh, so you're seeing people kind of move toward events that, what can I do to bring my family? And I'll take the Pikes Peak Apex as an example. We have spent all year in our newsletters and, and, and our social media talking about what else there is to do besides race your bike in Colorado Springs. Yeah. You know, and we really focus on that even more than the racing. Sure, people want to hear about the routes. Sure, people want to know how far the races are, what they might see on there. You know, are there aid stations? Can I do it? How much climbing? The, obviously, those are, those are important aspects. But a lot of our stuff is, is focused on what else is there to do? Why should I choose this event um, over... Um, SBT for that matter, um, over a three day bike race in Pennsylvania over, Mm -hmm. you know, go, go down the list. Breck Epic, obviously, you know, is a a really well done popular event here in Colorado. Why should I choose this? And our argument is always, well, listen, these are all the things that you can do. Listen, we've got garden of the gods. We've got the brand new Olympic and Paralympic museum. Have you checked that out? 
Um, have you ever driven to the top of Pikes Peak? It's amazing up there. Um, look at all these other places to ride. We have all these in-town rides in Palmer Park and Ute Valley and Austin Bluffs Open Space and Red Rocks and Stratton Open Space. I mean, I, I can yeah. list the things that from downtown you can ride to and have a riding experience. Um, not a lot of cities have that. Yeah. Um, you can go hiking with the family. There's a ton of hiking trails. Do you want to take a Jeep tour? How about a hot air balloon ride? How about zip lines? How about, you know, go down the list of all these things that not only can you do when the racing is over or before you start racing, but you can bring your family to, and you don't feel like maybe you got to still burn the, uh, the vacation time with the employer, but, but bring your family, enjoy some family time as you race um, there's stuff for your spouse to do. There's stuff for the kids to do. And that's really where we've started to try to focus with the Apex is, is we're lucky. We've got, we, we literally have a, a city of half a million people in this area with an airport. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're telling you to, hey, bring the family to Emporia, Kansas. It's going to be awesome. You <laughs> no know? offense, Emporia, Kansas. Yeah, no, we yeah. love Emporia, Kansas. <laughs> I mean, and, and Unbound being there, is a, it's a bucket list event, but yeah. absolutely but it's a bucket list event because of the race. Right. So I, we're, we're trying to create like it's, this should be a bucket list event because not only the race, but all of these other things to do. And that's what we've tried to create. Yeah. I love that. that that's, that's the push. And there's just such a passion for drawing a whole family into it. And that's, that's been noticed. Like your website is so yeah. cool. You can explore around and see what's going on in the Springs. And it also, from, from what I've seen, you're working really hard to, make an expo like feel so have have an actual race expo downtown american yeah. beautiful park this year and that's something that we weren't able to do last year right with 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 uh with the pandemic honestly we were lucky just to pull this off we were one of the few races that actually ran last year as you guys probably know yeah so we had to do you know we had to do things like take temperature checks and wear masks at the start and 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 start in small groups and kind of basically not encourage spectators to come watch um and hey this was just strictly a bike race Uh, and it was a great bike race um Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the event that we envisioned and we knew that we wanted to bring that in and and another aspect that you know we haven't gotten into is sure we want this to be a destination event for people outside the city but we want the community here in colorado springs to to truly own it right like this is their mountain bike event um, and it doesn't just belong to the people that are coming in from out of town to do it. And that brings us full circle to what we were talking at the start of the show about the difference between these community driven events and these corporate led ones where there is a lot of money behind it, you know, and no offense to him, but something like Iron Man who can come in and say, well, we've got all these resources to bring. How is that different, especially for you as a race director, an event like that versus something like the Apex, where it sounds like there has to be a lot more buy in from the community to pull off that old pitch of we need everybody here we want you at the expo we're pitching all of these things so who's with us sure no you're absolutely right and and we you know weren't able to do an expo we knew we wanted an expo we're we're really trying to get the first expo um we're calling it the the, uh, the apex outdoor festival and expo it's going to be saturday on saturday's stage in america the beautiful park so september 25th we've got food trucks lined up we're doing a beer garden with goat patch brewing 
Um, we've got some other nonprofits that are going to set up booths, and all of our sponsors, people like Q Burger Subaru, um, Athletic Brewing, is going to be, um, you know, kind of bringing their not, you know, their uh, non-alcoholic beverages there to to try out. Um, we've got a, a Kids on Bikes is going to come out. They're going to be doing any, everything from Strider races. They're bringing out their uh, portable pump track. Oh, They're going to awesome. be doing some skills clinics. We've got a couple of um, ex-pro mountain bikers like Bobby K. Warner that's going to come out and actually do some skills clinics that are that are out there that morning. So we've got a lot of stuff lined up, um, not just for cyclists, um, not just for racers, but for beginner mountain bikers or people that might not even mountain bike kids. Um, got a lot of stuff lined up to do in America, the beautiful park. So we definitely want to push a lot of people there. And that is going to be much more of our community facing part of this event. We want people to come out, watch the pro riders take off. They've got a big loop that day. Um, I know, I know you're racing, so I know you know what it's going to look like, uh, no, there, Josh. Well. <laughs> uh, but it's from downtown, uh, mm. right around what, what is it? 6,200 feet in downtown. And they're gonna, it's basically t- a 24 mile climb to Frosty Park, which is at 10,300 feet. Continuous. Um, continuous 24-mile climb up Gold Tank Camp, through the tunnels, um, up to, you know, Old Stage Road and some single track to get up to Frosty's. Yeah. And then a bomber of a downhill down through Jones Park and Captain Jack's trails. Um, kind of the quintessential um, Colorado Springs mountain bike ride. And so... Um, and and people, by the way, can register just to race that day, which is kind of a cool aspect. And is there still yeah. registration open? Absolutely. I mean, we're a couple of weeks yeah. out, but yeah, we we close on the on the twentieth. Everything's open till the twentieth, and we might even still let some one days in after that if you want to just race on Saturday. All so, right, good to know. Uh, so people can just zip in for for a one day uh, kind of experience and experience that Saturday event. But people kind of get to watch all the riders roll out of there. And then they'll stream kind of slowly back in starting around 11 o'clock. Uh, but there'll be a bunch of stuff going on there in America the Beautiful. And that's much more community-facing. What can we do to get people from, from the community in to kind of be this kind of celebration of the outdoors? And not just a mountain biking, but again, everything that, that Pikes Peak Outdoor Recreation Alliance stands for and, and, um, and kind of getting people outside. So that's kind of our push with that. Um, and then on Sunday, of course, we're going to have an after party at, at Goat Patch Brewing as well. So um, those are kind of some of the things that we're able to do this year that we weren't able to do last year. And we hope we can expand on that. Um, yeah. We're also talking about a bike swap, probably do a bike swap on Saturday too. We're starting oh, to kind of get that information going. So people can come out with their bike parts and old bikes and people can um, maybe uh, pick up some some stuff or buy or sell and so trying to get that piece of it going, kind of bring that part of the community in. In the current climate where there are no bike parts or bikes to buy yeah. anywhere, that's huge. Yeah. You might be able to find those parts and those uh, th- those used bikes those out there. Those things that are still so, on six months back order from whatever exactly. manufacturer. Yeah. So again, that's all Saturday. Come come check it out at America the Beautiful Park. Excellent. Excellent. And sign up if you haven't already. Yeah. 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 yeah still spots open. Um, you know, we... we we never did. A, we, we do have a 500 person limit on our permit, which we created that ourselves with the Forest Service. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know we're not going to even come close to that this year. But we're, we're, we're hoping that we build up to that in the next couple of years and we get 500 people that want to do 
that four-day experience with the Pikes Peak Apex. Yeah, somehow when you list a 24-mile climb up to 10,000 feet, I don't know if that correlates to not having that nine-minute sellout like FBT did. But. Right, right. Well, I, I will say um, there is um, there's less there, there's about half the amount of climbing in that stage than there is for the SBT Black Route. Oh, wow. So um, SBT Black Route has almost 10,000 feet of climbing. This is only, well, I think, 5,500. So only, while it only. sounds bad... Yeah. Um, it's actually all railroad grade climbing, so there's nothing crazy steep at all. It, it, it's just a, a long slog, shall we say? Yeah. But it, the downhill makes it worth it, I think. Oh yes. So, so and you can and you can also register for the Palmer Park Day um, on Thursday. So that's also a single day. That's only 11 miles. It's, it's about my favorite a, day. It's, it's a about a one day. hour effort by you know those of us who are you know regular riders. Yeah. The pros, the top pros, will do it in 45 minutes. Uh, and, and, and it's only 28 bucks, get a number plate, get a start time race against the best. All right. Well, that might have to happen. There you um, go. So, and this actually brings up a good point that I wanted to ask and kind of get inside your head about is how do you, with an event this big balance on the one hand, making it worth it for the pros to show up and on the other, making it still accessible for a wide enough range of amateurs. Cause I could see where it'd be really easy to go one way or the other either have a race that isn't challenging enough or on the other end, you get something that's so brutal that after the first year, everybody out there who's just racing for fun says that actually wasn't fun. <laughs> right. Well, um, I think that what we yeah, get, we've absolutely tried to find that balance and we've actually stolen a few ideas from gravel in this situation as well for, for, and kind of brought it to this mountain bike race. For example, we'll have a mass start. We're mm -hmm. not going to start the pro men and then the, age groups and then the women and you know we're actually start everybody in one large group everyone rolls out together oh, and yeah. we'll sort it out by a timing chip later so so it's great because you get to you i mean uh, and and if you're an amateur guy that is you know maybe racing for your age group you might end up being in a group with the pro women uh you know that day yeah. which is kind of cool mm -hmm. um and you also get to you know it's the same start as you know Russell Finsterwald or um, Lachlan Morton, by the way, is registered. You know, oh he's boy. coming from ESP oh, education. So, you know, you don't get a chance to be on the start line with those guys too often, right? So this is it. You'll get the chance to roll out at the same time and see how long you can hang on. Um, Keegan Swenson t said he's on his way. He's coming. So, we, the, the men, you know, the men's group is pretty good. And the women's, um, you know, field as well. Evelyn Dong just got, you know, her registration going. Um, so, and, and a lot of people are, 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 are going to be strong on the women's side as well. But, um, I think, uh, that I think is a really great, um, aspect of gravel racing. It's much more like, like a marathon that way. Yeah. Right. So you got, you, you, you we, we put a $25,000 purse out there. That's mm -hmm. that, you know, it's split evenly between men and women, it pays 15 deep for men, 15 deep for women. Uh, and the men and the women do the exact same courses for the exact same prize money at the, ex on the, and they are on the exact same start line and start at the same time. That is so great to see. Yeah. It seems like it's been a long time coming in, in the cycling world, in any, any sports world, really Indeed. that equal pay for men and women across. Yep. Is and the same distances. That's so great. again, all stuff kind of that, that gravel world has been, been moving toward, but we're kind of bringing that into the mountain bike world now. Uh, so 
racers going to race. They're going to be at the front. They're going to yeah. be going. For, I'm, I'm not even worried about those guys. They're going to be fine. But mm. but we also know that there's that person in the back. Um, you know, maybe it's that 65 year old guy, you know, with a family and a job that, you know, this is his bucket list event of the year. Maybe it's a 56 year old woman who, um, has been training for this and this is her first big race. You know, I mean, we don't know who those people are, but it's the same people that say, I'm going to take on a marathon or a half marathon and I'm going to finish it. And that's going to be my job and my bucket list goal of the year. And so being able to put Russell Finsterwald uh, and Lachlan Morton on the same start line as that 65-year-old guy or 56-year-old woman who's just trying to finish it is part of the beauty of this, right? And it's kind of where a lot of the sport is heading. And it's so much it's so much fun to be able to do that. For those people in the back, we're going to have aid stations every 10 to 15 miles. So you can stop and fill up your bottles and grab some food and take a break. And um, there'll be you know, uh, you know, some, some, uh, a mechanic there to help out if you've got a problem with your bike. So that level of support, you know, Huberger Subaru is a big supporter of our event there and they've got these Subaru support riders who are out there that are going to be kind of roaming around and they'll have, maybe have an extra tube or a little bit more encouragement or, you know, whatever that might be. So they're kind of roaming around. Um, uh, Centura Health is a, is a, a, a sponsor of ours and, and they have got, um, uh, some great medical operations out there and people that are watching out along with, um, you know, uh, El Paso County search and rescue is helping out. So we, you know, we've got mm -hmm. a really strong kind of a medical support plan for those people out there. So we don't have to worry about losing anyone. So really our event is built around that amateur rider. Mm -hmm. The pro's going to be in the front. They're going to be fine. Not worried about them. Right. I, I'm much more interested in taking care of those people that are in the second half of, of, of those finishers who might need a little encouragement, who might need an extra water bottle or a gel or some encouragement to get through. And that's where we build the event. And that's really good to know, especially for those who know the trails around here, you get to Frosty Park, you're a ways out. It is a long way. It's a out. long way home if something goes wrong. That's right. And, yeah. and which is, you know, again, why not a lot of people ride Jones Park and Pipeline on their bikes because you have to get there. Right. Uh, and you can get there with a Jeep. Uh, actually, I, w I will say that um, we just did a shoot last week where we drove up there with uh, a Subaru. And I was actually quite impressed that a Subaru... You got a Subaru all the we, way to Frosty Park? We got a Subaru to Frosty, yeah. It's uh, excellent. And, That's amazing. Uh, yeah, we, we, just did a, we just did a video shoot. Actually, people can go to the website. Well, we're about to release it. We just, um, we just got done with the first edit, but uh, by the time this comes out, you should be able to go check it out. But we just did a, a special like two-minute piece on the Subaru support riders, and it shows us up there at Frosty Park with the Subaru that we drove up there because that is a gnarly bit yeah. of, of driving. For those who are listening who do not know where this is, just imagine a Jeep road that most of us would be a little hesitant taking a regular full-size four-wheel drive up. Yeah. Let alone, what kind of Subaru was it? Do you remember? Yeah, it was their bigger SUV. Oh my um, gosh. So yeah. it, that makes even less sense. Yeah, and it wasn't even <laughs> one with like the extra, like, uh, you know, wheel, wheel space. It was... Uh, I was pretty impressed. He got that right up there. I was like, golly, I didn't really think yeah. that he was going to be able to do that. Anyway, uh, but it's hard. You're right. It's hard to get to. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously we've got the support, especially that day of El Paso County Search and Rescue, and they've got ATVs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, But you are out there. This is not like we're... 
days like this is not like we're like zipping you like laps around a state park. Like this is true backcountry riding where you are out on the mountain. Yeah. And and that was one of our goals with this event too. We didn't want just the the small loop stuff where you could just, you know, kind of cruise around and do a few laps at an in-town park and kind of be done. We wanted that backcountry out on the mountain experience. And there's at least two days of, of the apex that you'll get to truly experience that. It's it's so fun to hear you talk about this. You can just tell that you're you're very vested and you're very excited about what's coming together here. Yeah. Gets me all amped up for the race. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love that it is uh, it's the mountain world too. You know, it's very near and dear to our hearts. Mountain biking is kind of the core of where this podcast came from. How how did your transition from the road and like gravel scene right. go towards mountain and do you do you ride mountain yeah so i rode mountain bikes for fun when i lived in georgia and and um and i had a coach when i raced and um he would always just say once a week go for a mountain bike ride and he's like I, you know usually it was um i tried to work in an interval workout where i was going i'd go really hard on the uphills and coast on the downhills just you know on 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 some single track and he said he's it'll it'll keep your technical skills up it will um, get you a little bit of an upper body workout, you know, just s- something to take you off the road once a week. And so I jumped into a few mountain bike races just for fun. You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, as an expert back when, you know, before the category numbers, um, I was an expert rider back then. It was fun. Um, <clears throat> and I enjoyed that. It was, it was always kind of a fun part of, a, of, of what I was doing. But when I moved to Colorado Springs, I, in, in 09, I quickly realized that the off-road riding here in Colorado Springs was way better than the on-road riding. Mm-hmm. And I made kind of that decision when I moved out here. It's like, okay, I need to get myself a proper trail bike and kind of embrace this new off-road world. Um, at this point, I don't even own a road bike. Uh, oh, wow. I, have a, I have a kind of my cyclocross gravel bike and I have a, a, a road wheel set with like 28 slicks that mm-hmm. I put on there. So... I'll go do the the group ride. There's a group ride out of Acacia that goes, you know, down past Fountain and stuff. Right. Group ride on Saturdays that I, um, but I only have a 42 because it's a single chain ring on the front. (laughs) So I'm like, I I, I know I can kind of like, I spin out on the downhills and kind of hang on for dear life, but I can, I'm fine (laughs) on the uphills. And um, so I can do the group ride on my, on my cross bike or my, on my gravel Mm -hmm. bike. But um. Uh, but I really use that, you know, for gravel riding or even single track riding. You can ride single track on most of those gravel bikes. These sure days. can. <laughs> and, um, and, and then I've got my, you know, I've got a mountain bike, of course, of my trail bike. So what's your trail uh, bike? Uh, I have a, I have a Trek, um, fuel EX. That uh, is a popular ride yeah, around here. It's a little oldish. I think it's a 2015, um, but it's a 20, it's got, it's 27.5. It's got a dropper mm-hmm. post. It, it's got probably enough suspension for my you know skill level um so uh it gets me around pretty good i put some pretty you know like some 2.4s on there to kind of uh get me over a lot of stuff and uh and it does me right takes care of me so you'd be the second guest here on supa to ride that exact bike there you go katie compton also track fuel ex if i'm not mistaken yeah could be uh yeah um so yeah so it's great great 
great bike. I like it actually. I, I'm, but I, I'm about time about time for a new one. So I need to maybe make that phone call pretty oh soon. Boy. I, if you can even get a mountain bike these days, I don't even I know. I don't know. Yeah, I have to. I have to check on that. Um, maybe maybe uh, at least I can talk to my friends at Rock Shocks and try to get a fork to get started to build one up. It's a start. Um, yeah. But I definitely saw that transition when I moved here to Colorado Springs from that road uh, stuff to the mountain bike. And I would say I'm, I've, I, I wear the, the baggies and the uh, Osprey pack and I've fully embraced, you know, the, uh, that, that whole deal. I have the mountain bike helmet. Now oh. you have to have oh, the yeah. right helmet. Yep. Yep. Um, at the right gloves, all of that. Are you, uh, you know, progressively wearing larger and larger sunglasses until they envelop your whole head? Because that you seems know, to be a I, thing in mountain biking. I have biking. not, you know, you know, I, I still wear the the Oakleys, which are probably the road type, uh, uh, mainly because I just, um, I, I don't know, dropping 150 bucks on a pair of sunglasses still makes it. Just when you're kind of live in that industry, it pains yeah. me. Uh, and I don't have a, we don't have a eyewear sponsor of the Apex yet. So uh, Ooh, when I so do, I might be able to like, uh, pull myself a couple of, of pieces when that happens. We'll find out. <laughs> there we go. Would you say you, you saw the light in the mountain biking world? Yeah, that's it's right. Like, yeah. That's right. That's right. So one of the things that we have been doing with everybody on the show is mm -hmm. going from, you know, big experiences like this back to the personal side, mm -hmm. your best day and your worst day on a bike. Wow, ever, huh? Yeah. Well, I think I touched on one of the best days I've ever had, which was a, that first day of, of Oat Root Alps, riding out of Nice uh, from, the Medi from the Mediterranean up to the, the high peaks of the ski resort, which was just a massive, unbelievable day. That definitely goes down as, as a highlight. Yeah, um, I don't know how you beat that. Uh, it was, it's tough to do, you know, about about 400 people on the start line rolled out together and, and, um, and, and climbed up. Uh, that was, that was a pretty amazing day. I, I will, I will say, boy, worst, worst day on a bike. Um, that's a great question. I can, I can think of days that are like, oh yeah, it was really cold and I had to stop and like, shiver at the starbucks for a while while i even like could regain my composure or i was so blown or i remember that time i broke my collarbone on that group ride all of those kind of come across as negative but you know but any any day on a bike is is a good day right it is, it so is it's yeah. really hard to say <laughs> that day sucked it's like it, no, yeah. i really got to spend most of that day on a bike even if it was cut short for some reason and yeah. that's, that's the beauty of it. It's kind of a trick question, but how many Josh have we had that have actually at the end of the worst day story said it was really a bad day? Yeah, everyone has said it's a good day ultimately. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's hard. I, there's nothing that stands out in my mind. It's like, that was horrible. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, you, you, I don't know, maybe you're looking back on those as like ex learning experiences. Like I was so cold. I cannot believe I didn't bring a jacket or yeah uh, you know some of those other rookie moves i i forgot to eat and <laughs> i just absolutely screwed myself that day i mean there i think everybody has those days at some point um but i can't i can't think of a day where i look back and say that was a huge terrible horrible day well there's the fun typing as well that we've talked about before yeah yeah, yeah. there's some type a lot, two a lot for of sure. type two fun is 
it's great stuff. You appreciate it after the fact. More so. Indeed, indeed. I, I've gone some on some really great rides in Italy as well. Um, I had had some pretty unbelievable rides in Tuscany when I was over there for the World Championships in 2014. Um, and um, uh, and and just some some of the some of the rides that we had with the Oat Route events. I mean, some of those days in the Rocky Mountains or you know. When we did Oat Route San Francisco, I was only part of that for one year. But, you know, riding in Marin County is, again, some unbelievable bucket list type riding. Uh, yeah. And um, it, it's it's good stuff. So we're seeing your name uh, right up there at the top of the list and the people involved in SBT and Apex. Mm-hmm. Where else are we going to see Mike Rice in the future? Wow. Uh, great question. Um we, um, you know, we are talking to, um, and I won't, uh, we don't know if it's going to happen yet, so I don't want to, you know, to j- jump out ahead of myself, but um, we have been talking to another um, organization and city and region who wants an Apex event. Ooh. And so uh, one of our thoughts was, let's expand this franchise. Mm-hmm. And create um, another Apex event on the East Coast, Ooh. Uh, but still in the mountains, that would still be a bucket list ride, would still be a destination location to bring your family to, um, has enough trails to handle four days of riding, and really has a great mountain bike community and scene. So that limits things a little bit. People yeah. can probably start getting a top 10 right. from there. Yeah, everyone we'll just say out there. it's east of the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you if it's north or south. Uh, but there, um, there are representatives um, coming out to this year's Apex to check it out. They were sending a team because they really are serious about trying to do it. Um, and we, we would like to create other Apex-like events. Um, and again, it's a nonprofit. Um, the the name Apex is kind of owned by the Pikes Peak Outdoor Recreation Alliance, and they said we would love to expand it, um, and we would be glad to almost give it away for other events that saw eye to eye with us on what we want to create, and and that is a give back to that community's trail system. Yeah. And as long as um, we keep the bar high on the quality of event and we give back to the trail system in that region, then we'd absolutely lend out the Apex name to start doing that. So how about that for a little precursor? Yeah, that's a great little teaser. We can let the internet go wild in speculation. There we go. There we go. So um, we're hoping um, to to start that. It won't happen before probably 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really too late to start working on one for 2022 unless it was really late in the year. Uh, you really need a full 12 months head start on building something like this. It is a big lift. I won't, I won't kid you how many hours it took. It was actually really good. The pandemic came along and I didn't have a lot of work uh, for this first year of the Pikes Peak Apex because it was a, it was a lot to pull off um, in terms of just relationships, forest service routes, all of these other agencies that you have to permit with. Um, the red tape to cut through is it, it's a lot. I get it why people don't have a lot of mountain bike races in this town, especially up on the mountain. 
Well, and you're, you're setting a precedent in a lot of ways in a town that has not done much of this kind of event. So yeah, and, thank and that, you. <laughs> and that's another big community part piece that we didn't really touch on is not only the mountain bike community in town and the outdoors community we want to pull in, but these government agencies that are like, what, you're trying to do what now? You know, I mean, when we're showing them the maps of what we're trying to do and they haven't dealt with this. I know that there was kind of a, like, the, it was an enduro on Captain Jack several years ago um, uh, that Tim put on. There was some other people that, that have tried some things, just kind of one-offs, mm-hmm. but trying to do a year after year, you know, big loop race um, on Pike's Peak is n- no one's really tried it before. And so there wasn't really a roadmap. And so having to pull in El Paso Parks, um, Colorado Springs Utilities, Colorado Springs Parks and Rec, uh, the U.S. Forest Service, um, the city, you're having to pull in, um, you know, all of the, uh, all of these different groups that are kind of landowners and stakeholders, um, not to mention the other, you know, nonprofit organizations that work in those areas, you know, Medicine Wheel Trail Advocates, uh, the IMBA group. You've got um, Rocky Mountain Field Institute that does a lot of the trail building in the area. You've got Trails and Open Space Coalition. I mean, go down the list. I mean, it's just a ton of people that you have to work with and get all pulling in the same direction to pull something off like on this. And 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 that was the the most difficult piece. Uh, and and they're all supportive. Um, visit Colorado Springs. You know, they were a big part of of trying to pull this off. So um, a lot of people to to kind of start building the roadmap for what this looked like, and they all had to see the vision. That's amazing. That's so amazing. And yeah, you've, you've put so much work into this. Uh, it was an amazing race last year just to coordinate and throw in the midst of the pandemic. But this year, I know we're, we're all getting really excited about what it's going to be, what it's going to develop into in future years. Yeah. I mean, our goal was to create a bucket list event that would be recognized nationally, maybe even internationally bring people to town, spur on economic development, and truly shine a spotlight on the trail system in the Pikes Peak region. I mean, when you talk to people out of state and you say, what are your bucket list rides in Colorado? Is there anyone that you've ever heard that has said, oh yeah, Colorado Springs has got the... No, you hear Crested Butte, you hear Breckenridge, you hear Vail, you hear Aspen, you hear... Um, you know, the West Slope, you know, mm-hmm. Bruda, Grand, Junction, uh, Grand yeah. Junction, you know, now Palisade with the Palisade Plunge, you hear Monarch Crest Trail, you hear all of these things before you hear Colorado Springs. And I, yeah. I mean, and some people will even say Boulder and you're like, Boulder, like what? there's no mountain biking in Boulder. Maybe <laughs> the road riding is ranch. good. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's like, how did Boulder get on the list of mountain bike places? It's like it, it, mountain biking barely exists in that town. Yet mm-hmm. a lot of people will list it before Colorado Springs. We have to change that. I think the tide is changing yeah. slowly. For those of us who are, you know, longtime riders in the Springs, there's always that tension. Of it's been real fun to have the trails to ourselves. <laughs> True. However, the track, the kind of trail development that you guys can fund and be a part of and help move forward with a race like the Apex seems like it is the next stage. Yeah. Even for cities like the Springs, where there's, as it becomes known, the worst thing that could happen, it seems like, is for more riders to show up without the infrastructure to support them. No, that's absolutely true. Um, and I know that the Forest Service um, and, and Parks and Rec and, and the county, they, they struggle with this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
We, we are, are lucky that we have our TOPS program. So that is a, a tax, I think it's a half a cent, that goes back into some of the, um, excuse me, the trails in the region. But uh, interestingly enough, and something that a lot of people don't quite understand is that it's, it's a great fund and then they buy land and then they, you know, then it kind of belongs to Parks and Rec and the TOPS world, but it is off limits to events. Which yeah. means that Red Rocks, most of Ute, um, Blodgett open space, most of Stratton open space, completely off limits for me to put an Apex course on. And so I can't even ride through Red Rocks. I can't use Section 16 because there's no way around it. I can't use most of those new trails in Ute Valley. I can't. Um, I can't use the chutes and, and, and ladders mm -hmm. in, in Stratton open space because it goes across tops property. Great program. Love it. But I can't even show it off with an event. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty restricted on the trails I can use. We're starting to get traction to change that. Um, we just put some time and, and, and some of our money. We actually just from the apex fund itself just put $12,000 into a project Sweetwater Canyon. So it's up in Cheyenne Canyon. Mm -hmm. They're going to bring, they're going to build five miles of new trail um, that was kind of over there in that old Daniels Pass area. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we did a matching grant with Friends of Cheyenne Canyon to make a $25,000 um, purchase to to have Parks and Rec bring in a, a an independent contractor to help build that trail, and that's the kind of project that would normally be tops, but they've written us in so that we can use it in future editions of the Apex. Oh, that's excellent. They allowed us to be able to use it for events. They've kind of written a little thing in there so that we can use it, mm -hmm. and so they're starting to realize, oh, this tops program is awesome. But now we have to find a way to be able to let the Apex use it. And mm -hmm. we've put, in two years, over $25,000 cash into that trail system already. And, 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 um, and, and half of that has been this, big, this bigger grant that we just did for Sweetwater Canyon. Um, but we plan on continuing to do that. And we, don't, um, we put that into other groups, by the way. We actually... We, we write checks to Medicine Wheel, we write checks to Remfe, we write checks to Parks and Rec. Friends of Cheyenne Canyon has, have, have gotten small checks. Uh, Friends of Palmer Park have gotten small checks. PPRA is in a trail building organization. They're going to put money into the organizations that, that do this right. So that's yeah. kind of our goal with it. Oh, that's great stuff. That's fantastic. Well, I want to respect your time here. It's, it's been amazing hearing all about what's been going on behind the scenes and how you came to where you are now. Yeah, thank you for for joining us and sharing a bit of your story. We we hope to help and promote whatever's going on to the best of our ability. Awesome. Yeah. No. Got to get the word out. Got to get people interested in doing the one day option. Um, even if you're you know not truly into mountain biking, come out and check out the expo and watch and uh, and and participate. Um, there's a lot of ways to be involved in an event like this. Yeah. Volunteers. We. Still need volunteers. Um, so if anyone wants to be a corner marshal or they want to jump on their bike and help sweep, uh, you know, help set the the course, you know, the day before or the morning of, um, there's on bike and off bike activities for volunteers to do. Just uh, there's a link on our website for that too. Sweet, and we'll make sure that link is in the show notes uh, of this episode. 
But yeah, Micah, thank you so much for being with us today. So happy to have you on, and I look forward to suffering at events that you put on both this year and in the future. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thanks a ton. Thanks for having me. If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.